Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for our gathering of your people. And we rejoice this morning that Jesus has purchased a people by his own blood. And those who come to him by faith are redeemed from their sin. So, Father, may you bless the reading and studying of your word this morning for our families and for our church, ultimately for your glory and renown and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The local church is a gift of God. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a walking testimony of the grace of God. To be born not of blood or of the flesh or the will, but to be born of God is a miracle. Every single believer is valuable and important to the life of the local church. And so over the next few weeks, as we talk about family ministry, we recognize that the church is family. It would be a wise thing for Lauren and I to entrust care of my daughter Mason with the local church in which we confess and we are convicted in the same things. So we should, in our convictions, be caring for one another because if we are in Jesus, we are a blood-bought family. So the church is family. And what we discuss, what we walk through, should be applicable for a church of any size because it is geared for the whole family, the church. We're walking through Scripture, then addressing practical things that we can do to benefit ourselves spiritually. We hope it will benefit our families and North Hills. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be be looking at four different passages, but today we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6. So if if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6. And in this passage, we see that families are called to teach children, and they are to do so consistently. Parents are an example to their children, and members in the congregation are examples to other members. And if you're taking notes this morning, you could call this sermon, Families Entrusted. And our two points this morning are, God has commanded, God has commanded His people to care for their children, verses 1 to 3. And then His people, His people are called to diligently teach them the commands of the Lord. We're going to be looking at that from verses 4 to 9. And in the following weeks, we're going to look at Psalm 127. Matthew 18 and Ephesians 6. So our church believes and affirms in preaching through the Bible verse by verse. And so over the next few weeks, we're taking a theme that is seen throughout Scripture and walking through each passage verse by verse. And so I hope you you will reflect and meditate on the passages before each Sunday. And these these sermons are a benefit to, to North Hills. And one of the most beneficial things to every believer and non-believer alike is the regular diet of biblical preaching. We pray that hearts are changed by the preached gospel 
and people place their faith in the Lord Jesus. And we should preach such a clear gospel that everyone is offended. There will be challenges to Christianity, right? We know. We, we live in a day where there are challenges to Christianity, as there has been in every generation. But biblical Christianity will remain, and our King is coming. And so families and churches are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus to care for their children. But we're not going to cover everything under the sun as it relates to this biblical theme of the church as family or the church entrusted to care for families. But I hope over the the next few weeks we're able to, to lay a groundwork of the importance of family worship, family ministry, family care in the word that we desire Uh, to to continue to put in practice here at North Hills. And if we desire to have a reformation in our day, it begins with our church, our members in our church. It will start with and continue through conversations and discussions about our, our devotions and then how we care for the next generation. So God has created order and structure for His glory, for the good of His people, for the flourishing of families, and for the good of community. Each of our families have a vision in what we value. What do we desire to see our families do? What is the goal for our families and the church? These are, these are conversations we should continue to have. And we want, we want to flourish as the people of God. And our church helps accomplish that mission of glorifying God and deepening fellowship within the family that God has entrusted to you. So parents and members in the local church are the example. We are modeling to our students and to our kids how we should live, how we should speak the truth, how we should tell each other we we love each other. Christian parents do not live for a certain stage in a child's life or say that we wish we could get that stage back. But, But Christian parents... And the church know, we recognize that we have been entrusted for the present with a gospel and, to, and are to be enjoying the present. So if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. God's Word says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and and that you may multiply greatly, As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's Word. So there's, there's never been any doubt regarding the place of Deuteronomy within the canon of Scripture and as the, as the fifth book of Moses. Before entering the Promised Land, Deuteronomy was written to remind the people of Israel of their covenant with God. God has committed to their care, and they have committed to worship Him alone rather than wor- or worship or chase false idols. God will be their God, and they shall be His people. He's redeemed a people out of bondage in Egypt. He's provided them with manna from heaven and water from the rock. He's the covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God. But Israel needed needed to be consistently reminded of the covenant, and yet, yet they still failed to meet the covenant obligations in keeping it. Israel, in, in keeping their covenant though with God, is to teach the people the commands of God. And in Deuteronomy 6, we see the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments clearly laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, there's this, this command here. We see this command to teach children the word of the Lord in every opportunity. Wherever you go, wherever we go, we should be teaching our children and the people of God are, are should, are should be diligent in their teaching. We, we need to be diligent in the way we teach. And so, as we look through verses 1 to 9 today, we, we see these two points. The first is God has commanded His people to care for their children. In verses 1 to 3. And then the second point is that God's people, His people, are called to diligently teach their families His commands. And as we look uh, at the first three verses, in verse 1, the commandments, the statutes, and the rules, they have been given, and now there is a call to follow. So this commandment is to be understood in reference to all of God's commands. And we can reference a few chapters before in which there is repeated language of commandments and statutes, both in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 5 have similar language to the beginning of chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4 and 5, Moses received the word of the Lord and then shared it with the people. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 31 to 33, it says, But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So these commandments, these, these rules, statutes, decrees, It's all of what God has said. It's all of what God has said. And so these commandments of God, uh, the the people uh, were were to keep. And we see this in verse 2, that the children are shown the Lord is to be feared. The Lord is to be feared and commandments are to be kept. So why is God to be feared? 
Because He's holy and righteous. Uh, Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear the Lord because of who He is. Hell is going to be a terrible place for the wicked and unrepentant. Not just because of eternal hellfire, but because of God's just and righteous wrath being poured out on the wicked for all eternity. Jesus says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13, 42. And they are gnashing and grinding their teeth at God because they are haters of God. We do not light a match in the middle of our living rooms and think that's okay. Fire outside of a fireplace is a dangerous thing. And with a holy God who is not feared, but treated as a puppy dog in the sky that will approve any and everything that you do in your rebellion against him is a dangerous thing. It would be eternally unwise for one not to fear the Lord. And the clay cannot bring a charge against the potter. So in Christ, in Christ, we fear the Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but, not, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what is the good news? If God is holy and to be feared, and I have sinned against him. The good news is this, that God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who lived perfectly in our place to the law. He did not sin. And he died a substitutionary death in our place. The death, the death that we should have died. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God against sin. And because Jesus did not sin, he is declared righteous and able to stand before the Father. He rose again from death. And on the third, on the third day, we, we rejoice. He rose. We have a living hope and that those who come to Him by faith alone and have placed their trust in Him, they're not declared guilty. But because He stood in their place, they are declared righteous. He clothes those who believe in Him in His righteousness. So should the Christian still fear, fear God? Yes, we fear Him because of who He is. This is the Lord of all. He is the King of the cosmos. In the, in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, Lucy sees Aslan, the lion, for the first time, and then whispers to Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. God is good. He is a refuge to those who fear Him. And God, out of love, has given His law, His commands. The law of God shows the love of God and your need for Him to provide for you. Israel would have recognized these commands as a part of the law of God. And so God demands Israel's obedience 
And God has cared for and loved His people and given, given them His commands. And so they should respond in love by obedience. But regarding the keeping of God's commandments, because of our sin, because of our sin, we know that we break God's commands. God's commands are good. And so we should seek to understand all of God's commands. This is the, this is the nuance that we have to, to work through, right? But ultimately knowing and rejoicing that Christ has fulfilled the law. Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the end. He's the, he's the telos of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So God did not break the law out of love in Christ. In Christ, He fulfilled the law out of love. One commentator mentions that the objective truth of the sight of an unchained tiger close to you will spark a gut feeling that will stimulate immediate action to get to a safe place. So in the Bible, objective truths cause subjective feelings that motivate action. God is holy. He is to be feared, but He is good to His people. God's people should not just strive to obey God because He's good, but because He is God. And Christians, we, we recognize that we cannot fulfill the law. We are not perfect in keeping some of God's commands, let alone the whole law. So we, we strive to teach ourselves and our kids the commands of God. These Old Testament commands are pointing to New Testament fulfillment in Jesus. So we strive to take heed of what God has said because we fear the Lord. Beloved, there's striving and fighting to obey God's word. There are days where we are tired, where we are weary, we're worn out from work or other things that life brings. And in these moments, we do not lay our weapons down in the heat of battle. We follow our King. The Lord Jesus, who when tempted said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Because we are not perfect, we will disobey God's word. We will, at times, refuse godly counsel. We will invest time in the wrong places and make light of sin. There are no perfect parents. And there are no perfect church members. But praise be to God that those in Christ... He uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. So beloved, may we strive together in the gospel to love one another, to continue to point each other to Jesus, to strive to know the word and to share the good news with the next generation. God has commanded His people to take care of their children.
And then in verses 4 to 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, many Jews have called this the Shema. And these verses are articulating how one should live because of God who has loved them and brought them out of Egypt. And this is our second point for this morning. God's people, His people, are called to diligently teach their families His commands. Let's read verses 4 to 9 again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In verse 4, we see it begin with, Hear, O Israel. This phrase is used in other portions of Deuteronomy, and it's how Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, verse 1 begins as well. This is the call that Israel needs to have ears to hear. Israel needs to have ears to hear. And it's a blessing to be able to hear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. Jesus reiterates this in the gospel after telling, telling parables by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. The people of God are the people of God because they have heard from him. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And God is speaking to the people of Israel through Moses. The book of Hebrews, as we have we spent a good amount of time in the book of Hebrews, recounts that in these last days, God has spoken through His Son. So God speaks to the church by His Son, and we see the promise and fulfillment of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And as Israel hears the phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is used. This is, this is separation from the other so-called deities of the day. The Lord of all is separating Himself from the gods that were created and fashioned by man. An idol created by man does not deserve praise or worship. But to a world of plurality in which we live, the demands of our Lord and the God of the Scriptures are too much. He's exclusive to His people and will not be the same as the other wannabes. Our triune God is not one among many gods. He is the only God, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons in perfect unity. He is unique. And when He promised something, He completed it. When He spoke, it was for His glory and the good of His people. The King of all. This is the King of all that is unique and distinguishes Himself from all of these wannabes. And as God brought His people out of Egypt in the Exodus by the plagues, He shows that the Egyptian gods are nothing. Each plague is a represent, representation of an Egyptian deity. 
And so the Exodus account is a reminder for the people of Israel. There is none like Him. Psalm 113.5 says, Who is like the Lord who is enthroned? So this eternal King, this eternal King should be worshipped. And because this King should be worshipped, you shall love Him with all your heart, soul, and might. But can we do this? Can we do this? Is, it, is this possible for fallen men and women who have sinned against God to love Him with all of their heart, soul, and might? Israel failed to love God with their whole being, and we fail too. It is impossible for fallen men and women to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then why did God command Israel to this? God demands perfection. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, in Jesus' response to the Pharisees, Jesus is pointing to himself. What he does and will do. Perfection is met by God the Son, Jesus Christ. He did not sin and loves the Father and Spirit completely. And so how did, how did Jesus love his neighbor? Jesus says in John 15, verses 12 and 13, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. King Jesus laid his life down for his friends. The Son of God took on flesh, dwelling among men, dying as a substitute. And as Redeemer, those who come by grace through faith to Jesus are not to continue as rebels, but as brothers and sisters. The Son of God has made those who have come by faith friends of God. And so in Christ, we are no longer counted as rebels, but brothers and sisters. Those who have been born of God are in the family of God, the church. We hate sin And we love God. And we seek to glorify God in all that we do. There's also a reminder in this passage of gospel promise. Of new covenant promise. In verse 6, these words that the Lord commanded shall be upon your hearts. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, is written with anticipation for the king to come. And our hope is hope in the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will, put the, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So again, Deuteronomy 6 is pointing to the new covenant with Jesus. And in the new covenant with Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 5 says, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law 
of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So those in Christ, we walk by the Spirit and we are kept in step by the Spirit. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it goes on to show that we are to be diligent. We're to be diligent and regularly teaching our children the commands of God. So what does it mean to be diligent here? What, is, what does this mean to be diligent? This is not a, a drag or, or a burden, but it's perseverance in teaching. This is for the affections. We're diligently teaching for the affections, for the heart, what we love. We teach the Word of God to our kids in all avenues of life. And from Genesis to Revelation, we want our kids to see Jesus who has fulfilled the law, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And in teaching children the Word, we are reminding ourselves of the Word. Deuteronomy 4 uh, verse 9 begins by saying, Only take care and keep your soul diligently. So we're to be diligent in keeping our souls. Yet, yet, we are oftentimes diligent in other things. Out of 69 million teens and children in Generation Z, just 4% have a biblical worldview. Pre-COVID, kids used electronics for five hours on a typical weekday. Nearly 88% of teens have a phone and 48% of preteens have a phone. Kids are diligent doing other things in busyness. And the kids, the children in this church are all being catechized in many ways. How are they being catechized? The world is saying you must look a certain way to be accepted. You must act a certain way. You must pursue certain things. Ultimately, you will love some of the things God hates. But if you are in Christ and have been approved by God, we do not care what the culture says about us. We do not lose sleep based on what the world says about believers. If our students, if our students and kids, (coughs) excuse me, can learn the ABCs. We teach them the Scriptures. We teach them the Scriptures. It's the duty of the church and the parents to teach students and kids diligently. And in doing so, we desire our students and kids to know Jesus. 
We want our kids, we want our kids to know Jesus. And it's our prayer that hearts are changed. We live in a culture that makes time for what we love. So what do we love? Who do we love? Reflecting upon God should impact all of life. We're to be people of the book. Our day can be so consumed sometimes and then we reflect on the day and think, what did I do? Many of the things we do or have concerns about or lose sleep over are going to end up in the trash dump. How many of you still have your 2003 LSU National Championship year? Probably don't. So let's be people of the book. When we bleed, do we bleed Bible? I'm not saying in a manner that we use the word improperly and take it out of context to fit something. We should strive to interpret the word well. We should continue. We should, we should continue in discussion of the word with our kids, with other church members and people in our community. As we go, as we go, we are sharing Christ. In verses 8 to 9, there's debate. There's debate here on if these will be taken literally regarding having frontlets between your eyes and writing on your doorposts. According to some commentators, they have found many frontlets around the region of the Dead Sea. And this would have been placed around, the frontlets would have been placed around the eyes for scripture memory. Literally translated as between your eyes. So this is to be visibly seen and be reminded of what God has done. Scripture memory is important. Do you remember watching any movies from your childhood and then going back later on to watch that movie? I hope you have good memories. I hope those are, those are good, good, good memories for you. But how much more should the benefit of Scripture memory be to God's people? The same could be said for the parchment paper on the, on the doorposts. These were benefits to God's people to help remind them of what God has done. We don't memorize Scripture just for the sake of memorizing Scripture. We want to know God, and we know God by His Word. This is one way as God's people and the church we can diligently teach ourselves. Psalms 1, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. So blessed, blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God. We can make a sign, put it on the doorpost, use uh, the Fighter Verses app, put scripture on a note, or write scripture on your mirror as you wake up. We want to know God. We want to know God and we know God by His Word. But we, in our culture, have become so accustomed to Google. And we're not writing the Word of the Lord on our hearts by Scripture memory. There's an unhealthy desire in our culture to have the quick answer rather than to think and to meditate upon it. This is even seeped into the thinking of Christians today. Do we regular, are we, are we regularly meditating upon God's word? And as we meditate, 
we should seek to memorize scripture. So what are some of the benefits to meditating or memorizing scripture? When we know the word, we're able to make a defense of the faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We also recognize that by meditating upon the word, it reveals our blind spots and sins in life. And ultimately, meditating on the word fixes our eyes on Jesus. It fixes our eyes on Jesus. And so I hope this week, as you gather in your community groups, you have, you have more discussion regarding that. The benefit of scripture memory and meditating upon the word. And we see in these two verses, as we close out chapter 6, in verses 8 and 9, our passage this morning, it's also repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 11, eight, verses 18 to 22. It says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates that, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the, Lord, that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. So when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, this is pointing out that those who have been redeemed by the Lord should remember in all times and in all spaces of what God has done. The Lord has done this for you and your people. So for those in Jesus, remember what God has done for us in Him. Beloved, this morning, we we are reminded that the family is not our God. The family is not our God. But God has entrusted the family to the church so that we care for each other diligently. And in this community, we remind one another of the good news of Jesus as we share the good news with children and with students. So it's our prayer that God continues to draw people to himself, to know him by faith. And as we lock arms together in the gospel, the gates of hell will not prevail. Beloved, we only get one life. And it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day and your word. We rejoice that children are a gift of God. You have entrusted families in the church to care for them. And we're thankful that we have one another. And so may we press on and hold fast to the gospel. That we 
We're once dead in our sins and trespasses. But if we've come to Jesus in faith, we are counted as brothers and sisters. We are counted as friends of God. And as friends of God, may we be people of the book. May we continue to meditate upon the scriptures and think upon the scriptures. And may this good news never grow old. For your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.